Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Now this morning the uh, word that I'm going to share with you is, um, it's sort of what I call an indulgence session. I uh, am usually challenging you to life of holiness and serving the Lord and not to backslide and 101 other things. Uh, This morning I'm not going to challenge you, I'm just going to feed you a little bit with one of uh, Kevin Connor's indulgences. Would that be all right with everybody? But I do trust you get more than indulgence out of it too. All right, Matthew chapter 2, and I'm reading from, uh, I'm still into my new Bible, which has got uh, Old King James and New King James, uh, parallel and trying to mark everything, and that's a lot of work here. Anybody who's got spare time, I want you to take my old Bible and mark my new Bible. All right, Matthew chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through to 12. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he got really excited and said, Hallelujah, that sounds great to me. Does your Bible say that? That's in the reversed version. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent, to Bethlehem, they sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy." When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's have a brief word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this uh, privilege again of being in your presence, worshipping our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And while the world is oblivious to the real meaning of traditional Christmas, we understand what your word says, and we are to worship you in spirit and in truth. Pray, Father, that you'll bless the word that we do share this morning. May all of us receive something for our hearts in these days and strengthen us in the most holy faith. We ask it in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you're taking down notes this morning, I want to speak on the Shekinah Glory Star. 
I'll say the title again. I want to speak on the Shekinah Glory Star. Someone just gave me a little note this morning and uh, out of the paper, and it has, Christmas takes a bucketing. The Church of England bishop, who questions the virgin birth and the existence of hell, while doubting that there is to be a second coming, is now pouring cold water over the three wise men. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, mythical, said the right reverend doctor. How many think he likes titles? The right reverend doctor. You know, it's unscriptural to call anybody reverend, because the Bible says holy and reverend is his name. So I don't like getting letters with reverend, doctor, bishop, pastor, reverend, Connor on it. The Star of Bethlehem? Just about possible. No room at the inn? Who knows? As of the three wise men? On balance, I have to be frank and say no. And then he said, these stories are so splendidly symbolic and pick up so many echoes both from the prophecies and the Old Testament that I think they are stories composed by the early church out of their faith. But one guy hit back and said, the teaching of the church is very clear and all over the world, millions of people will be rejoicing in the supreme fact that God came to earth as a baby, born of the Virgin Mary. I'm sorry that the bishop appears to be unable to uphold what the church has always taught. How many can say amen? Once you notice the use of the word star in this passage here, and remember, this is an indulgence session this morning, okay? So if you end up saying, well, Kevin, it's a beautiful theory, I don't believe you, let's disagree agreeably. Everybody said amen. Isn't that a great way to start a message off this morning? Because <laughs> I know what I'm going to say, you don't. Note the emphasis on the star here in verse, uh, verse 2. The wise men, we have seen his star in the east. So it's his star. Then in verse 7, Herod, he called the wise men and inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And then uh, in verse 9, as we're going to see, this seems to be a very intelligent star. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. Quite an intelligent star, this. And not only did the star go before them, it uh, came and stood over where the young child was. And they were told in verse 10, the next mention of the star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced. In fact, the Amplified says they were uh, just absolutely filled. They were in ecstasy. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy when they saw the star. And it's interesting, as we were here yesterday morning remembering the birth of Christ, we have a number of carols that are sort of based around the star. I looked at one of them this morning on We Three Kings of Orient Are, Bearing gifts we traverse afar, Fields, Field and fountain, moor and mountain, Following yonder star, O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Then it goes through each of the gifts of the wise men, but that's too vast a subject to handle this morning. Now over the years, uh, I'm sure that all of us have heard different uh, explanations of the star. 
I've read some very interesting ones. In fact, I made a note of it this morning, or made a note of it when I was preparing for this morning, I should say. There's a number of different theories about what this star was. Uh, this is a very interesting one. Uh, Bishop Gregory of Tours in the 6th century, he put forward the suggestion that this star was really an angel that fell from heaven and he fell into a well at Bethlehem. And it was so bright on his falling that uh, he got wet when he got into the well. How many have heard that one? And then uh, one of the church fathers, Oregon, the scholarly church father, he wrote and he said he believed that this star was a comet or meteor. A very interesting thing. Can you be, imagine yourself being one of the, the, the three, if it was three, but I believe it was three, for more reasons than I dare say this morning, uh, that this, uh, these three wise men, or the wise men are coming and they're seeing this comet. And this... this <laughs> and it stood right over where the child was. How brilliant. And then the astronomer Johannes Kepler in the 17th century, he said that this star was a conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn in the constellation of Pisces, the two planets being so close as to seem to be one star. And uh, he says that this conjunction took place in BC, uh, about 5 to 7 BC in May, a few years before the birth of Christ. Professor Pritchard, he has shown that a similar and closer conjunction occurred in uh, BC 66, about 59 years earlier than this. But he says they never came closer uh, than twice the diameter of the moon and that they would still appear as two stars and not as one star. So as the writer says here, and this I took from uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Isby, uh, ingenious as the suggestion was, it may be dismissed as unworthy of, con of serious consideration. Then another theory has been put forth about this mysterious star. Uh, it was uh, in 1572, a new star appeared in the constellation Cassiopeia, and at its brightest, it outshone Venice and was visible in the daylight. And though it gradually declined in splendor, it was not lost to sight until after 16 months. And uh, so they say, well, it was a new and just a temporary star that uh, led the wise men to Christ. The uh, Isby goes on to say, however, there have been other instances of outbursts of short-lived bright stars in 1265 and 952, but probably more commonly called comets. So uh, he goes on to say, there is no reason to suppose that the star of 1572 had ever appeared before that or will ever appear again. Cassiopeia is a northern constellation and it would have been behind the wise men en route to Bethlehem. The Jehovah's Witnesses, or the JWs, they make this statement about the star. Satan and the demons have power to produce lights. And the star that guided the wise men was without doubt such a light. And of course, more recently, the latest theory about this star is it was a flying saucer. <laughs> now, can you imagine the wise men following the flying saucer? Or oh, quick. Oh. Have I got your attention yet? Well, 
summarising all that, all these suggestions are really just the natural mind of man trying to figure out something that was supernatural. Because everything when it comes to the birth of Christ, the virgin birth was supernatural. Can you say amen? The, uh, the, the heavenly host singing to the shepherds in the fields, supernatural. The angel of the Lord, the glory of the Lord that shone around, it was supernatural. Everything pertaining to this time was supernatural. So why do men, with their natural rationalization, trying to rationalize oh, what this star was, a conjunction of uh, Saturn and Jupiter and planets or a comet or something like that? I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 1 here and uh, I'll watch our time even though we started earlier. We still don't want to have the everlasting gospel, do we? Uh, Genesis chapter 1. For those who have done key knowledge and hermeneutics and everything like that, this is the first mention of stars in the Bible. And I realize the uh, occult world have taken up a lot of these things and uh, worship the sun and worship the moon and worship stars and people govern their life by stars, everything like that, and the signs of the zodiac. So creation becomes idolatry. But Genesis chapter 1 and uh, verse 14 tells us, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And it simply says, he made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So we have our first mention of stars here, sun, moon, stars, that God, on the fourth day of creation, set the sun and the moon and the stars as signs for signs and seasons and to govern our day and night, to govern our time and uh, ruling day and ruling night and uh, dividing light from the darkness. As you go through the scripture, and I'll just give you several scriptures here without turning to them, you'll find that God took the things of creation and use them often in a symbolic sense. So for instance, God said to Abraham, I'll just give you the reference, we won't turn to it. In Genesis 15 verse 5, God said to Abraham, look now towards the stars and if you can number the stars, so shall thy seed be. So the seed of Abraham was to be as numberless as the stars of heaven. He confirmed the same promise to uh, uh, Isaac and to Jacob that they would be stars of light. The seed of Abraham would not only be sand, which refers to natural national Israel, the earthy national Israel, but also to the stars of heaven, which is the heavenly. You think of stars of light in the orbit of God's will meant to give light. So God uses the language of creation in the language of redemption. In the dream of Joseph, and I'll just give you the reference on this, Genesis 30, 37, Genesis 37, verse 9 to 11, Genesis 37, verse 9 to 11, Joseph was given a couple of dreams from the Lord, and in this dream, he saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to his star. And when his father and mother interpreted the dream, the sun represented the father, 
the moon represented the mother, and the, the 11 stars represented Joseph's brethren who were going to bow down to him. So God takes the sun, moon, and stars and uses them in symbolic language here. The language of creation becomes the language of redemption. Put down this scripture also, just uh, interesting scriptures on stars. It'll help us on what I want to say on Matthew 2. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, Daniel 12 and verse 3, those who were teachers of righteousness, the Lord gave them a promise there and said, they will shine as the stars in the firmament forever. Shining as the stars, those who turn many to righteousness. Daniel 12 and verse 3. Then this is a very interesting one. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1. I'll give you another scripture with that. Revelation 9 and verse 1. And Jude 13. Jude 13, you will find that stars are used of apostates. In Revelation chapter 9, as John is seeing the events pertaining to the second coming, he said, I saw a star fall from heaven and to him. So this star was a person. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit and he opened the bottomless pit and there came out these demonic uh, forces uh, there. So a star and then when Jude, the epistle we've been looking at in recent weeks, he talks about those who are wandering stars. Stars that have got out of the orbit of God's will and even Satan, Lucifer is referred to as O day star, how art thou fallen from heaven. So falling stars are likened to apostates, apostates are likened to falling stars. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, we have a picture of a, of a woman there. And listen again to the language, because God knows what he meant when he inspired the Bible. This woman is clothed with the sun. She's standing on the moon. She has a diadem of 12 stars, so sun, moon, and stars. Joseph saw sun, moon, and stars. Here's a woman that's clothed with the sun, standing on the moon, has a diadem of 12 stars. Personally, I believe, along with a lot of others, though we don't teach much on these things here, only in an indulgence session like this, I believe that they represent 12 last-day apostles that are going to bring the church, the bride of Christ, to perfection. One of the 12 falls, that's been a pattern right through the word. 12 stars. And then the last one, or I'll give you two more here, just to show the, the symbol, how God uses stars in symbolic sense. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. Revelation 1 and verse 20. And we're told that as John sees the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, he sees in his hand seven stars. And he said, these seven stars, so Jesus interprets the symbolism here. He said, these seven stars are the seven angels or the seven messengers of the seven churches. So ministers, the angelos of the church is likened to a star. I'm likened to a star this morning. Not a fallen star, okay. But so are you. One other scripture I'll give you. And uh, as I do on everything, I've done this through the total Bible and we just always just scratch the surface of these things. But there's always more in it that meets the ear. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 41. 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 15 verse 41 when Paul deals with the glories of the resurrection, do you know what he says? There's one glory of the sun, 
and there's one glory of the moon, and there's one glory of the stars. Oh, now he's picked up this sun, moon, and stars theme. And as the stars differ from one another in glory, so also is the resurrection of the saints. So some saints are going to come up with the glory of the sun, some will come up with the glory of the moon, and some will come up with the glory of different stars and their different glories, and you'll sing that lovely chorus, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Uh, and by the way, there's more truth in the humor than meets the ear because all of us will come up if, if, G, if Jesus doesn't come and, uh, you know, we don't meet the uptaker instead of the undertaker. All of us in resurrection will shine in our different glories. And it's not the Lord that determines that glory. We determine that glory. Some will come up in the glory of the sun. Some will have the glory of the moon. Some will have the glory of the different stars. So uh, I think I've given you enough scriptures to show that uh, God uses the sun, moon, stars of creation in symbolic sense, so the language of creation becomes the language of redemption. Now the tragedy is that uh, in our society today, as well as all through human history, people have uh, turned to idolatry and they worship the sun and they worship the moon. And they worship the stars. How many thousands of people in Australia, millions of people throughout the world, get the newspapers and they govern their life by the stars? Did you know that I govern my life by a star? Jesus said to him that overcomes, I will give the morning star. Jesus is my star. Hallelujah. How many can say amen? So I don't have to go to the Zodiac, the counterfeit, and have my life governed by a star. It's already governed by the uh, star. So if you're witnessing to people who are into the Zodiac and idolatrous uh, worship of created bodies, uh, tell them, say, hey, I've got my star. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 2 in the light of that. Now as we look at the uh, whole setting of this passage in Matthew chapter 2, we'll find that there are some very interesting uh, things here that I want you to pick up. And I believe what I'm sharing with you this morning, of all the different theories I've read about the star, and by, by the way, I am not alone in believing what I'm uh, presenting to you this morning in this indulgence session. First of all, the star appeared in the east. And in the scripture, the east is always significant of the sun rising and the place where the glory of God appears. The star appeared in the east, in the sun rising. The cherubim and the sword in the Garden of Eden was placed towards the east. In Ezekiel, when he sees the glory of God leave the temple, it departs by way of the east. It came by way of the east and it departs by way of the east. This star appeared in the east. You'll notice the next thing it says, it is his star. Now, as we mentioned uh, yesterday morning, Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17 is the only verse in the whole Bible concerning a star, the star of Messiah. And uh, the wise men... And by the way, I'll just throw this off the cuff here. It's too vast a subject to take up. The wise men were not a bunch of astrologers or, or magicians, magicians. And I can't for the life of me understand when the Bible so thoroughly condemns astrologers 
and stargazers and monthly prognosticators and magicians, all condemned by the law, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, in His incarnation, God made flesh, the Word made flesh, why He would have a bunch of astrologers and magicians and soothsayers, necromancers and all that come and worship Him. So contrary to the whole Bible. Tradition, we, you see the church is bound by tradition today and we're not willing to see that God is doing something supernatural here. Instead we try to rationalize it all. Not us, when I say we, that's everybody else, okay? Smile, you're on candid camera. Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17 is the prophecy of his star. BC 1452. Balaam prophesied and he said, I see him now, I shall see him but not now. I shall behold him but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, not a meteor, not a conjunction of planets, a star. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. And so the wise men said, we have seen his star. It's his star, the Messiah star. Third thing that we note, this star, uh, this star, as I said, it's a very intelligent star because it appears at a very special occasion. It appears at the time of the birth of the Messiah, or around about that time, uh, the incarnation. How did this star know to suddenly appear at this time? Uh, if it was a conjunction of the planets, how did they know to, uh, you know, suddenly appear at this time? You know, all those things, this man's rationalization. So it was a very intelligent, intelligent star, this. Uh, it appeared at the right time. It knew about the incarnation. And then uh, you'll notice the next thing here, that this star went before the wise men. Most of the carols that talk about the star, they say, this star, as with gladness men of old, did the guiding star behold. So this star knew where it was going. The wise men just had to follow the star. So the star, you know, was leading and guiding and directing the wise men to a particular place. Quite an intelligent star. How many know that the comets don't do that? Ask your question, how many know the comets don't do that? And then, uh, as we read in the verse there, this star, it uh, went before them, and it came, I mean, now in between time, they've been to Herod, he's got no worship in his heart. He said, oh, bring me word again, I'll come and worship the baby. He had a sword in his heart, he'd kill the baby. And so, when they left Herod, they came out of Herod's palace, suddenly they see the star. And they followed the star, and, and so intelligent was this star. With all the babies born in Bethlehem, this star came and stood over where the young child was. How many think it's quite an intelligent star? And of course, when the uh, wise men saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Do you think they said, oh, isn't this conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter marvelous? Isn't this comet marvellous? Oh, we really feel filled with ecstasy. We've come a long way following this comet. Why do men want to deny the supernatural? Now all that I've said to you this morning is uh, inapplicable to a meteor or a comet or any of the conjunctions of planets of Jupiter and Saturn. You know what I believe the star was? What I've given you in the title of my message. 
I believe it was the Shekinah glory star. The Shekinah glory. All through the Bible, once you turn over to the book of Ezekiel here, Ezekiel chapter 10 11, all through the Bible, uh, we find that God has wanted to manifest his glory amongst his people. And uh, just think of some of the examples where God has manifested his glory. Ezekiel uh, 10 and, uh, chapters 10 and 11, just for the moment. But let's just uh, touch on this. In, uh, in the Garden of Eden, when man sinned, uh, what did God do? God gave a visible manifestation of his presence in the cherubim and the flaming sword. So as Adam and Eve, and we have no record that the uh, Garden of Eden and the cherubim and flaming sword were destroyed till the flood. But as Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and the patriarchs brought their offerings, they brought them to the gate of Eden, and we're told there that God placed at the gate of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword the Shekinah glory, and it turned every which way to keep the way to the tree of life. And I personally believe that when Cain brought his offering and Abel brought his offering, that out from that cherubim and manifestation of the Shekinah glory, fire came out and burnt Abel's offering of uh, the body and blood of a lamb, but didn't seal Cain's offering. And so Cain was wroth because God accepted uh, Abel's offering. How did God testify to that? So there was a visible manifestation of the glory of God at the Garden of Eden. How many believe that? The Bible says it. How many believe that? About six of us. Then later on, there came the time when God wanted to deliver the children of Israel from uh, Egyptian bondage. And God came and uh, there was a visible manifestation of the glory of God in a burning bush. How many believe that? I'm asking you, do we really believe the Bible? And the miracle of the sun took place in the burning bush. When I was a kid, way back in the dark ages, I was taught at school that the sun is a sort of a planet on fire and eventually it will burn itself out and the planet Earth will become a frozen planet. Well, did you know the miracle of the sun is it's a planet that's burning yet unconsumed. And God did the miracle of the sun in the burning bush. It was burning yet unconsumed. A visible manifestation of the presence and glory of God. How many believe it this morning? And Moses is in the backside of the desert and uh, he goes aside to see this visible manifestation of the glory of God and God speaks to him out of the bush. Do you believe God spoke out of a bush, a bush and said to Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. So God revealed his name, a visible manifestation of, the burning, uh, of his glory in the burning bush. How many are ex-Presbyterians? What was the symbol of the Presbyterian church? I was a good Presbyterian for two years. Got baptized, got rid of the starch in my life. Uh, what was the symbol of the Presbyterian church? Burning, yet unconsumed. How many of you know many of the churches today have just become a heap of ashes? But that was a visible manifestation of the glory of God. How many believe that when God brought Israel out of Egypt... He gave another visible manifestation of his glory, and that was the cloudy pillar. And this cloudy pillar, it was a cloudy pillar by day to give them shade by daytime from the desert heat, uh, God's air conditioning. And then at night, it was a cloudy pillar of fire 
to give them warming, uh, to keep them from the cold of the desert at night. And that cloud was quite an intelligent cloud because when the Egyptians came after, after the uh, Israelites, it says God looked at them through the cloud and scared the, the life out of them. Right? And Pharaoh and his host were drowned in the sea. I mean, God was in the cloud. Don't, don't, I, I can't explain it. I'm just silly enough to believe it. And that cloud led and guided Israel to the promised land. A supernatural manifestation of the presence of God. Now go to Ezekiel chapter 9 and 10. And there's the tragic end of these visible expressions of the glory of God. Ezekiel is given a vision of the glory of the Lord in the temple. Ezekiel 10. And let's pick up a verse or so here. Because we actually have three steps as the Shekinah glory of God departs from Israel. In verse uh, 1 of Ezekiel 10, Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubims, there appeared over them, as it were, a sapphire stone as the appearance of the likeness of a throne. And he spake unto the man clothed with linen, and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill your hand with coals of fire from between the cherubims, and scatter them over the city. And he went in by my sight, in, in my sight. Now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. Step number one. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub. Remember the glory of the Lord, a visible manifestation of the glory of God, dwelt upon a bloodstained mercy seat. And when Aaron or Moses went into the holiest of all, they heard God's voice speaking out of that Shekinah glory. Now here the glory is about to depart. Step number one. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house and the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. Step number two. Chapter 10 and verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. Step number three. Chapter 11, verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, and by the way, it's Mount Olivet, where Jesus ascended, which is on the east side of the city. Three steps. First of all, the glory of God, because of idolatry in the temple, lifts off the bloodstained mercy seat and goes and stands at the threshold of the house. Step number two, it leaves the threshold into the court and then finally over to the Mount Olivet on the east where Jesus later on would ascend from Mount Olivet back to the presence of God. The departing glory. Turn over to Luke chapter 2 and verse 9. Luke chapter 2 verse 9. Years later, a bit over 600 years later, and remember... The glory of the Lord. Now, these expressions, the glory of the Lord in the cherubim and flaming sword, the cherubim, the glory of the Lord in the burning bush, the glory of the Lord in the cloudy, fiery pillar, the glory of the Lord upon the mercy seat, the glory of the Lord in the tabernacle of Moses and the temple. Once that glory departed, did you know that the glory never ever returned to a rebuilt temple? But in Luke chapter 2 and verse 9, we have this language. And there were in the same country, verse 8, I'm in, 
Luke 2 verse 8. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. 600 years later, the glory of the Lord that had been manifest through Israel now returns and appears to the shepherds. And suddenly there's, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Listen to this that came out of uh, International Standard Biblical Encyclopedia. They say, though they don't agree totally with what I'm saying this morning, but they do say this, the statement that the star went before the wise men gives the impression that it was some supernatural light like the Shekinah glory resting upon the tabernacle or the pillar of fire which led the children of Israel through the wilderness. It gives that impression. Well, I, I get that impression. And uh, how many of you receive New Life magazine, newspaper? In New Life magazine, uh, Don Prout, who is uh, a critical commentary, None of you seem to get that. He uh, writes a very interesting article in New Life magazine several years back, which I kept a copy of it because it uh, sets forth the theory, I believe. He goes through what I'm sharing this morning, and he says, what was this star? The reference to this star has perplexed Bible commentators for centuries. Dozens of theories have been propounded. After all, stars do not move about the heavens and stand over houses. Then he goes on a new theory, but a couple of different books come up with a theory that merits our attention and teaches us a great biblical truth, and that is the suggestion that the star was the Shekinah. Then he goes through a number of points and he ends up with this. God has made it possible to dwell in the midst of his people once more. The glory cloud of that first Christmas morn points us to the one in whom we can find reconciliation with our God. He who departed from the Jewish nation in Ezekiel's day has returned to bring good news to every man, Jew and Gentile. And he ends up saying, it seems to me that there are good reasons for considering the star of Bethlehem to be the return of the Shekinah. And I say, Amen. A supernatural and visible manifestation of the glory of God. A couple of other things I'm going to say before we finish. I have uh, compared the glory cloud of the Old Testament the star. The glory cloud and the star both were a manifestation of the presence of God. The glory cloud led Israel to the promised land. The star led the wise men to the promised Messiah. The glory cloud overshadowed the tabernacle of the Lord. And the star overshadowed the word made flesh who tabernacled among us. The glory cloud came and departed from the temple by way of the east. The wise men saw the star by way of the east. The glory cloud was assigned to Israel. The star was assigned to Jewry. This cloud housed God's glory. The star, I believe, housed God's glory. That was an intelligent guiding cloud. This was an intelligent guiding star. I want to finish with this. How many have uh, ever been to a Jewish synagogue? How many have ever been to a Jewish graveside? Over every uh, Jewish synagogue, you see this sign. What is it? 
Uh, what, how many star, how many sides to it? Not our traditional five-pointer, it's a six-pointer star. Every Orthodox Jew who dies in the faith of the coming Messiah, they put his star over their grave. An Orthodox Jew who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ wrote a tract, or gave a brother to write a tract, which I have at home. And listen to what an Orthodox Jew, not all of them, who accepts Christ says. A six-pointed star is made up of two co-equilateral triangles. And the Orthodox Jew says, first of all, we have the triangle of man, which is inverted. God made man in his image, spirit, soul, and body, and in the fall, man became inverted. Here's the gospel now. Gospel in the six-pointed star. An orthodox Jew that's accepted Christ knows more than we Westerners do. So man became an inverted triangle. Spirit, soul, and body blackened and darkened by sin. The other triangle... Inverted, pointing upwards, represents God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who planned man's redemption in the blood. One blood, and remember that when the blood was sprinkled on the door at Passover, it was to be sprinkled on the lintel and the two side posts. A triune application. So we have the tri of God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have the try of man, inverted, fallen man. What does God do in his star, the star of Messiah? The Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the Word was made flesh. And so in the incarnation, and the six-pointed star is the star of Messiah. It's actually our star, the star of every new creation. How many new creatures in Christ this morning? We are symbolized by six-pointed stars because how many know that Jesus said, if you love me, my Father will come to you, the Holy Spirit will come to you, and we will take up our abode in you. And Paul prays that all of us may be filled with the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I am a triune being, you a triune being, spirit, soul, and body. The fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, comes to indwell us, and we become six-point star. Now listen to what the Christian Jew says, Orthodox Jew, has accepted Christ. He said the six-pointed star represents this. A blinded Jew, a, Messianic, a Jew who does not accept the Messiah, does not understand this, but he knows it's Messiah's star. So he says, in the incarnation... The try of God became incarnate with the try of man. And we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is true God and true man, body, soul, and spirit, and the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily, and he brings about the silver redemption. How many can say hallelujah this morning? That's the gospel. Let's go back to Numbers 24 as we finish. And I hope you've enjoyed our indulgence this morning. How many prefer to believe that the star is something supernatural and not just some conjunction of planets and comets getting out of orbit? 
So Numbers 24 and verse 17. So Balaam says, I shall see him but not now, I shall behold him but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Notice the two symbols that uh, Balaam uses. First of all, a star and then a scepter. When Jesus came the first time, he comes as the star of Bethlehem. When he comes the second time, pardon me, he comes with the scepter, King of kings and Lord of lords. How many think that's worth a hallelujah? I want us all to stand and we're going to sing a carol as we bring our meeting to a close. Then I want you to sit down after that. We've got a couple of things we need to do before we dismiss. So let's all stand together and sing a song about the guiding star, which I believe was the Shekinah glory star. No more indulgences, John. It's not good for you. Where's the, uh, where's the verses, Keith? Where's the Psalms? Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> and I think we can sing the five verses as we bring our meeting to a close. Remember, just before we start, remember Peter's promise? He said, until the day dawn... And the day star arise in your hearts. So wise men saw the star in the first coming. I believe wise men will have a witness of the day star arising in their hearts as to the second coming. I want to be a wise man. Wise men. Wise man. Wise men still seek him. Can you say amen? So let's sing this carol triumphantly. As with gladness men of old
Let's bow on a word of prayer, and then I'm going to have you sit down, just a couple of things we need to uh, do at the close of our service. Father, we just thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came the first time, and he's going to come the second time. And while there are unbelieving believers and so many ministers who would uh, use your word to create doubt and rationalize and de-supernaturalize your word, we stand here as a people of faith. And Lord, we believe in the supernatural. We believe that uh, your virgin birth was supernatural. We believe your life, your ministry was supernatural. We believe your death and your burial and resurrection ascension was supernatural. We believe you're coming again is supernatural. It's beyond rationalization, beyond man's reason. Lord, it's a content of faith. And Lord, in these days when we're contending for the faith that was once delivered the saints, we confess our faith in you. Father, we believe that in these days that there is a witness of the Spirit, a witness of the morning star that's arising in our hearts as we're approaching the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we have a sure more word of prophecy that we do well, that we take heed thereunto. So, Father, we pray that uh, even in this indulgent session that all of us will receive something from your word. Your word is true, Lord. And we believe, Lord, that... Yes. All through all the ages past, you gave visible manifestations of your presence to the people of God, to Israel. And Lord, we're looking for that eternal state when we'll be in the eternal glory of God and the city of God, that eternal visible manifestation of the visible glory of God when God and the Lamb are the light of that city. And we dwell in that light and that glory forever and ever. Father, we pray that in this coming year, that there will be a greater intensity of the glory of the Lord manifest in our own meetings, greater intensity of the presence of God manifest in our meetings, Lord, that sinners will be converted and people will be healed. Lord, that you'll be glorified and you'll build your church, Lord, as you continue to scatter seed from this house, continue to increase the seed. Lord, as you send people out in teams, continue to bring people in and build your church and make it strong. We accept your prophetic word and believe it and thank you for this morning. Father, we just pray that you'll bless your people as we uh, have our vacations over this holiday season. Help us to remember, Lord, we never have a holiday from you or from your house. Refresh us in spirit, soul and body and prepare us for all that you have for us in this exciting year 1994. We ask it in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said Amen. amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.